Vecchio for the Proving Travel Trends blog. And I'm here with Dan Buck, independent scholar, freelance writer, one of the researchers who I've been reading for a number of years. And we're here talking about somebody that people don't really think of when they think about the discovery of Machu Picchu. Dan, thanks for talking to me. Uh, good to be here, Rick. I was watching one of my favorite movies, Secret of the Incas, with Charlton Heston. And I happened to notice, for the first time, in the credits, listed as a technical advisor, Dr. Albert Giusecki. And I knew the name seemed familiar. Can you shed some light as to who Albert Giusecki was? Well, he was uh, an American uh, uh, academic of German uh, parentage who came down to Peru in the early 1900s and uh, ended up in Cusco, uh, where he ultimately became um, the rector at the uh, National University in Cusco and was a, a key player in a lot of the both political and uh, cultural uh, changes going on in Cusco in uh, the early 1900s. And um, he later, he married into a local family and uh, uh, got involved in Cusco politics, served three terms as mayor. And uh, for, for, he's probably more well-known in the United States uh, for his encounters with uh, Hiram Bingham in 1911 when Bingham came down to Peru looking for uh, lost cities. Now, did Giuseppe have a role in the scientific discovery of Machu Picchu? Yes, he did. Bingham came down to Peru having done a, a considerable amount of research. Well, he'd already been in Peru before, but he came down to Peru in 1911 having done a considerable amount of research um, about uh, archaeological ruins in the Cusco area. And uh, he, I, I don't know if he, I can't remember if he corresponded with Giuseppe before he came down, but he met him when he was in Cusco. And uh, two Giuseppe had two contributions. One, he had already been in the Urubamba Valley, and he had heard about uh, the ruins, or that there were some sort of ruins, up in Huayno Picchu and Machu Picchu area. And But he, had, he, because of the weather, he had not had a chance to go up and take a look at them. And, and then the second, he organized a meeting for Bingham with uh, several uh, hacienda owners in the Cusco area, uh, or in the Urubamba Valley area, I should say, to share with Bingham their knowledge about Inca ruins in the Urubamba Valley. So he, he was an important informant, I think is, the, is maybe the best word to use. Uh, for Bingham in his in his search for uh, for uh, ruins in the valley, he wasn't you know one one doesn't want to overegg the flan here that he wasn't pivotal in the sense that uh, if Giuseppe had never met Bingham, Bingham would never have found Machu Picchu because Bingham had other sources. Um, he had Ramondi's maps. He was talking to other uh, scholars, other uh, locals, and all of these people contributed to Bingham's knowledge of the Urubamba Valley before he, he set off 
on his journey. But nonetheless, Giuseppe played uh, a, an important role. I, I think it's the fact that the Theodobon Valley had really only recently been opened up with a road at that point. I mean, before that, it was really like just trying to get through the brush to get uh, down into the valley that far. That's true. That, that's probably one of the reasons that the ruins in that part of the valley had not been visited more often, that, that uh, people had to come around behind the uh, the mountains on the on the other side uh, of the river and then descend into the valley below Machu Picchu and so your your average uh, person even if you were looking for something which most people were not because the whole the whole sort of idea of of modern archaeology that you know that we know today where you've got dozens of uh, expeditions funded by everybody from the National Geographic to the History Channel to whatever looking for ruins it just didn't exist in those days so Bingham sort of came down at a opportune moment when the valley had opened up and he was there with a, an expedition uh, substantially financed, and he was he was looking to find something. Most people were down there plotting a railroad, looking for gold. If they entered a ruin, their desire was maybe to loot it, and so they weren't really interested in you know publicizing it or or making it known to the outside world. But but it's you know one could speculate if Bingham had not come to Peru in 1911. Would Jaseki have been the discoverer of Machu Picchu? Well, maybe so. But that's but, not something he ever took advantage of or tried to. Um, to no, that's 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 a good point. Jaseki strikes me as a very uh, uh, self-effacing gentleman, and he never. I don't think. I don't think he ever complained about. Bingham never had, Bingham Bingham was not the sort of guy like Bingham was like most explorers uh, sharp elbows and when you're making an announcement about a discovery you don't go into the details about the 30 people who might have helped you or pointed you in the right direction or whatever you simply make the announcement and that's the beginning and end of of that, um, but but Jaseki strikes me from reading about him as a as um, both a very knowledgeable guy, a very intelligent guy, and also a very sort of self-effacing uh, fellow, and not interested um, in the fame that explorers usually exhibit. Now, Giuseppe also was a very accomplished person in his life and his career. Um, what other kinds of accomplishments did he have? Well, I mean, how many people could put on their resume that at, I forget what age, he, he was rector of the university in Cusco at, let's see, he was born in 1883. So by 19, what, 9, 10, somewhere in there, he was still, he was 27 when he was rector of a university. I mean, that's an incredible accomplishment. And then within a few years, he was on the city council in Cusco and served as mayor for three years. And according to a gentleman named Daniel Gade, wrote a, a biographical sketch about Giuseppe for a magazine called Expedition, and he he mentions that 
during the time that Jacecki was uh, mayor of Cusco, he was a ma major force in improving public hygiene, improving the daily market, and installing uh, water and sewer systems, which you know are pretty good accomplishments for early 1900s Andean city. And then from there, he he also uh, in, in in that same period he organized a bunch of university volunteers to do a uh, Cusco census, and then uh, later moved to Lima, where he became uh, part of the National uh, Department of Education. So anyway, quite a career. Culturally, did he have uh, any role or anything to do with the indigenous movement? He did. He was there in Cusco at the time that uh, the indigenous movement got going, and he interacted with Belcarso and other leaders of the indigenous movement. And just for people who are familiar with Peruvian history, what was the indigenous movement? Well, it was it was the you always hesitate to say first because then someone will point out it wasn't the first. But it was an early movement of uh, cultural Andean indigenous uh, renaissance where for uh, perhaps the first time since the Incas, uh, locals in Cusco were promoting their indigenous uh, background, their indigenous ancestry, their indigenous music and art, and so on. And just to bring it full circle, I've always had the, the idea that the discovery, the scientific discovery of Machu Picchu helped bolster that movement, gave people a sense of pride in things pre-Hispanic. It did. I mean, here's, a, here's one of the, my favorite anecdotes of the whole Machu Picchu discovery story is in a few years after the discovery, mid-19-teens, mid 1915-1916, an American writer uh, named Harry Frank was going, was walking from Panama to Patagonia, writing a book. And he came to uh, Cusco and the Urubamba Valley, and he wanted to visit Machu Picchu because he'd read about it. And he came down the Urubamba Valley, and he, he ran into Artiega, the gentleman who had escorted Bingham up to uh, the ruins in 1911. And Artiega told him, disparagingly told him that, uh, look, these are pagan things. They're, and here's a direct quote, not to be compared with the Cathedral of Cusco with its saints and virgins. In other words, even a couple of years after the discovery, you still had locals who didn't appreciate Inca ruins and thought the stuff in Cusco was much more important, that is to say the colonial churches and so on. But it's a little, it, I find it, anecdotally at least, an insight into why these uh, archaeological sites were, were abandoned, forgotten. They were not, people knew about them, but they didn't pay any attention to them. It's another not too well-known fact that Bingham in his earliest writings about his discovery, it was quite clear that he wasn't the first one there. There was some graffiti that indicated otherwise. Well, th th that's true. 
in fact, Machu Picchu had never been totally unknown. I mean, Peruvian scholars have found references to it in uh, colonial and republican writings throughout the centuries. People knew about it in tax records or church records or whatever. Uh, but Bingham is the person who found it, cleared it, studied it, photographed it, and made it known to the outside world. He's the guy that said, holy cow, this is a, this is a big deal. And that's why he's the scientific discoverer. Um, it doesn't really matter if somebody climbed up there in 1892 or 1568 or 1732 and uh, looted some pots or wrote their name on the wall or whatever. They really didn't do anything. Uh, in fact, another anecdote that I find uh, illustrative of this of this topic is that I, I'm not sure if it was before, I think it was after Bingham found the Machu Picchu. He interviewed the uh, the the gentleman who owned the property that Machu Picchu was on, and this is in uh, uh, Chris Cheney's book, which is a terrific book, by the way, Cradle of Gold. Bingham interviewed the Asandado that owned the property that, that had Machu Picchu. He, that is to say the Hacienda owner, had never heard of the ruins, and he didn't know anybody was living on his property and farming there. So this gives you an idea of sort of how, and it gets back to the, the road business, how out of the way this area was and uh, how uh, desolate and, and unknown it was that even the guy that owned the property didn't know he owned Machu Picchu. But that's an example of how uh, isolated that part of the world was. And, and even so, um, consider this, that even before Bingham came down there, the figures I have in my head, because I, I, I found the, the, I guess, 1876 uh, Peruvian census, there were a quarter of a million people living in uh, Cusco, the department. There were about 20,000 living in the Urubamba province, close to 20,000, and about 10,000 living in Convencion, downriver from from Machu Picchu. So between between Urubamba and Convencion, you got 30,000 people. This is 1876. Yet, probably most of them had never heard of Machu Picchu or had ever set foot there because there was no reason why they ever would. You know, they had their little life on their chakra or their their, their little tambo they had or whatever, and maybe they went up to Cusco via a, a route outside of the Urubamba Valley or whatever, but there were a lot of people living down there. I have to say, um, I discovered Machu Picchu. Okay. <laughs> uh, in 1966. And what was it like in 1966? Actually, you know, this is interesting, uh, Rick. Giuseppe was still alive. He died in 1968. I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Puno in the mid-60s, and I and a couple of Peace Corps buddies went uh, to Cusco and, of course, went to Machu Picchu. And in those days, it was wide open. And we went up there with our sleeping bags, and we slept out in the ruins and woke up with the sun coming up over the Urubamba Valley. And we were sleeping inside one of the houses in the ruins. 
can't do that anymore. Can't do that anymore, but it's also... Can't do that anymore. Who wouldn't love to go back to that time and be able to just walk into the... Go down on the local train for a couple soles. Mm -hmm. And... uh, even uh, my wife and I were there in the late 70s, and we stayed at the Turista, which is now the $500 a night, uh, I'm, I forget who owns it, uh, Oriental Express or somebody, but we stayed at the Turista, what was then the Turista, and I think it was like $30. But, you know, that's part of what uh, Peruvians ought to tip their hat to Hiram Bingham. He created this billion-dollar industry. Uh, even though he was a, a bit of an egomaniac. Was he an egomaniac? What was Hiram Bingham like? Well, I mean, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't know him. But I think he was, uh, he was like many explorers. You've got to have uh, a couple of extra ego chromosomes to raise money, round up expedition members, You've got to be monomaniacal to go on a quest, and and you find this with exploration controversies to this day that the disputes over who found what first, who gets the credit, and 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 you find people that explore and discover something and announce it to the press, and they generally have to cut out a lot of the the niggling details because it takes away from the story. And as a a couple of observers have commented that reporters that cover discoveries, that cover archaeological finds, are in uh, many ways accomplices to this because to make the story work as a story, you've got to cut to the chase. Was it who discovered what? And you can't spend a lot of time talking about other people who might have been there or people who might have tipped you off or people that might have told you over a beer at a, at a uh, bar in Cusco, oh, go, when you get to this fork in the road, go left, don't go right. You, you have to cut all that out. And, and you have to talk about what's new. What's new? Because what's new is what's news. And you find that today with with controversies over discoveries, Ziegler, Thompson, uh, Frost, their names have been in and out of the papers. And, And the funny thing is all these guys know each other, and they've been on probably lots of expeditions with each other. And yet when a discovery is made, there's always grumbling about, well, who knew about it first and um, who should have got the credit and uh, so on. It's just part of the business. Well, there's um, also, there, there is an evolution uh, in our knowledge and you do see where people had their contribution and where they maybe didn't quite get it right but their contribution was no less valuable. Um, Hiram Bingham was convinced that he had discovered Vilcabamba right until the day he died. Exactly. Precisely. That's the, the funny thing about it is that he got the big thing wrong but uh, he did he did do the discovery. He just didn't really know what it was. And you know, if he'd found something else downriver, he might never have gone back to Machu Picchu. You don't know. That's the other thing. Turned out, you know, he never he never found anything quite so good looking. And, and then 
there, there's another aspect of this that I found in just reading about archaeological discoveries. Explorers tend to think that because I found it, it has to be important. I mean, God damn it, I spent all this time and all this money, and I walked for 20 days, and I'm covered with bug bites and bramble cuts, and I found this pile of rocks, and by God, it ought to be, it's, I think this is the center of American civilization uh, on the South American continent. It's got to be something important, because here I am. And you do find that over and over again. And if you read the stories, even today, though, the headline will be, Biggest Discovery Since Machu Picchu, or uh, Most Important Archaeological Find of the 21st Century. That'll be the headline. And then you'll read the story, and you'll sort of scratch your head and go, well, what is it? <laughs> okay, it's some tombs, and it's interesting, and but uh, biggest since whatever. But you find these things, if you, if you collect these stories, you find these things over and over again. But it's, you know, I, I don't, I do not want to sound uh, too either disparaging or cynical about this because it's all for the best. It it does move the ball forward and it it gets more attention on these subjects and it gets more it gets people interested in it and and if you didn't have these slightly exaggerated stories or these controversies, you wouldn't really know anything. And I think that the other point to be made is that despite the Spanish attempt to extirpate any vestige of, of pre-Columbian culture, Peru remains to archaeology what CBGBs was to punk rock. I mean, they do make very significant finds all the time. This is true. I mean, who knows what is still out there in the Cusco region or wherever. Uh, Brian Bauer headed up a study some years ago where they did a a, I think they paced off, you know, foot by foot, step by step, an area around Cusco and established that there were somewhere in the vicinity of 1,300 archaeological sites, large and small, okay? And this is it just in one small area near the city of Cusco. Here we go. It's uh, It was... Cusco Valley, a 350-square-kilometer area that constitutes a fraction of the entire 72,000-square-kilometer department of Cusco. So this small little area has more than 1,200 archaeological sites. Think about the entire department, how many it might have. And also the alignments between those sites and the discoveries just in the last 30 years have been cumulative to show that there really was a relation between them. Exactly. So who knows what will be found next year, three years from now or whatever. It points out how easy it was for a, a, a site like Machu Picchu to be overrun by vines and trees and bushes and for people to go, oh yeah, so what? Yeah, there's some stuff up there. Big deal. We're growing avocados. Please don't step on the avocado bushes. A couple of years ago, I was over at the Library of Congress. I forgot what I was doing, but I was in the Library of Congress map room and I asked them to bring out anything they had on the Urubamba Valley. And they brought out a bunch of maps and so on. And then 
the uh, guy in the map room comes out with an atlas, Peruvian atlas, slender, not a big book, 1904 by uh, Carlos Cisneros. And going through it, I come to the Department of Cusco, and he mentions that the department is full of archaeological ruins, including ruins at Huayno Picchu. Huayno Picchu being, for people who don't know... Oh, I'm sorry, Huayno uh, Picchu is, is the, one of the two peaks upon which uh, Machu Picchu rests. So here in 1904... And Carlos Cisneros was the head of the, the Lima Geographic Society. So he was a, you know, he's a major domo in Peruvian geographic circles. So in 1904, when he's writing this book, he knows enough about there's ruins at Wano Picchu, and he throws it into his book. And here's what he, in fact, I just found the reference. Here's what he wrote. Um, the entire territory is seeded with ruined Incaic cities, which offer a great opportunity for investigation by archaeologists. And, and then among the important ruins that, that Cisneros named that have never been excavated, he said, was La Poblacion de Picchu, the city at Huayno uh, Picchu. I'm assuming he's referring to what we now know today as Machu Picchu. All right, he wrote that in 1904 in the, in the Atlas del Peru. No one noticed it until 2008 when I stumbled upon it at the Library of Congress. It had never been cited in any uh, document that I ever knew. So, one, it just shows you how long stuff can just sort of lay around. But two, that there were so many of these sites. And this, it wasn't like he said, oh, this is, you know, whoop-dee-doo, this is a really big deal and somebody should get up there tomorrow. He just said, oh, by the way. And in your opinion, does that take away in any way, shape, or form from Hiram Bingham? No, not at all. In fact, it's just, it just makes what he did um, more astounding that he goes down there. The thing is, he was looking for ruins. He wanted to do what Cisneros was saying people should do. No one else wanted to do that. I mean, even Giuseppe, for all of his contributions, he's just traveling down the Utabamba Valley with his uh, hacienda owner friends, and he makes a note that he should go up and check out these ruins up above Mandor Pampa, which is below Machu Picchu. And because it was raining, and it's a, it's not exactly an easy hike, he didn't do it. And he never got around to doing it until after Bingham came along. But probably from Giuseppe's point of view, there were, who knows, dozens, hundreds of these places that he might have visited if he had a chance. And another aspect of this that I think well, a, a Peruvian commented on this, who uh, wrote a book on foreign explorers in, in Peru, Estuardo Nunez. He wrote this book in 1989. It's a fabulous book. Extranjeros por el Peru. Los Vijeros, oh, I'll do this in English. Foreign travelers be 
because of their condition as foreigners often see and discover many more aspects of uh, a locality than the, lo the locals ignore or the locals pay no attention to. Um, that the things that are familiar to you, that surround you every day, escape your perception. Uh, foreigners are often the ones that discover things that locals ignore. They come along and they look at they look at a region from a totally new perspective. And whereas locals are are involved in making a living, going from place A to place B, from uh, uh, raising their families, and they walk by things every day and don't pay them a lot of attention. And then along comes. Uh, a foreigner who's who's looking for this stuff and goes, holy cow, this is incredible. It's true even in the United States, where foreign explorers would often find things that locals had ignored. It is fascinating, and there is a cumulative nature to the importance of discoveries, uh, the tidbits, and this process of connecting the dots in this evolution of discovery that really does pull it all together, I think. No, this is true. You know, I've often speculated if Bingham had not discovered Machu Picchu, what would have happened? You would have had the road built. You would have had people going down there. At some point, someone would have gone up there. But what would have happened? Would they have had the money that Yale and later the National Geographic and others would have been able to bring to bear on it? And in fact, the the ruins did sort of uh, fall back in into oblivion for a while until, um, and now I can't remember exactly when this was. It was late teens. They had to go back in and excavate them again. So even after Bingham, the, the ruins were not suddenly developed as a as a tourist site. They did fall back into into uh, disrepair or dis disuse, uh, and the and the vegetation over overgrew them again. But if Bingham had not, what well, when would it have been that somebody actually would have gone up there and gone, "Holy cow, this is really big"? Twenties, thirties? I don't know. Paul Fejos in the forties? I don't know. Hard to say. Anyway, it's I love it. It's fascinating. Okay. Dan Buck, thank you so much for uh, spending some time. Thanks, Rick. It's nice talking to you. Okay. You be good. All right. Bye-bye. And that wraps up this episode of Peruvian Travel Trends Podcast. Until next time, I'm Rick Vecchio.